Hello there, uh, this is Gardo. Welcome to the second episode of my new Gardo Goes Geek podcast. Um, if you've just joined us today, I have one episode up already. This is now the second episode, or will be the second episode. Uh, today I thought we could have a discussion that's been uh, brewing for the past few weeks, but uh, has really kicked off steam since the release of the Zack Snyder's Justice League, or the Snyder Cut as it was. And I'm going to be raising the question of whether I think Warner Brothers should restore the Snyderverse. So hopefully you'll join me for this uh, discussion as I weigh up the pros and cons of doing such a thing. So we'll start with a bit of background for anyone who wasn't aware. Um, DC Comics is currently owned by Warner Brothers. Uh, Warner Brothers was recently bought out by AT&T, one of the big media conglomerates in the United States. Now, DC's main rival is obviously Marvel Comics. Uh, Marvel Comics was uh, has been making films for years under various licenses with Fox, Sony, Universal, etc. But then recently started doing its own movies in 2008, uh, originally with Paramount Pictures, Paramount Pictures, sorry, um, before being bought out by the Walt Disney Corporation, um, who obviously have owned them since. Um, they're responsible for the current Marvel Cinematic Universe which obviously I spoke about in the previous episode, as one of the biggest, I think it is the biggest franchise in media at the minute. Obviously, it's very, very, very well known. I will do a, a deep dive in a, a, a upcoming episode, probably into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the, the behind-the-scenes wranglings of it. But essentially, um, it's a film and multimedia franchise where all these comic book characters are adapted into various movies uh, and television shows that all share part of a, an interconnected universe. Obviously, um, DC have a similar target audience to Marvel. Marvel's uh, main brand is superheroes. Um you could say before the Marvel Cinematic Universe really hit its stride, the five most recognisable superheroes that your average man on the street would be able to recognise a name if you said to someone, name five superheroes. There's a very, very good chance the only Marvel characters that would be in that top five before the MCU would have been Spider-Man, for definite, possibly the Incredible Hulk, off the back of the uh, cartoon, uh, the live action series that he had in the seventies, um, and possibly Wolverine off the back of the then current X Men movies in the two thousands. It's highly likely that the other three that would be named, or the two to three that would be named, would all be DC characters, specifically Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman who you could argue are definitely DC's most famous characters and probably some of the most famous characters in the entire medium. Saying that, Batman has had several film series throughout the years. 
Um, there was the film series in the 90s, uh, started by Tim Burton, then helmed by Joel Schumacher, um, with Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, uh, which I think is a lot better than most people generally do, and Batman and Robin, which is very camp, but it's derided for some very, very good reasons. There was also the Adam West Batman film and series in the 60s. There was the uh, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale films, uh, now known as the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, which were released in the mid-2000s. Uh, well, toward the end of the 2010s, in fact. Uh, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Um, most famous probably for Heath Ledger playing the Joker in The Dark Knight and being very, very beloved. Um, there was also the DC Extended Universe films, which we'll get to in a minute. And there's upcoming films now with Robert Pattinson playing Batman in an upcoming film. There's the Drunken Phoenix Joker, uh, which was released a few years ago now, and I think is getting a sequel. There have been talks of a sequel. Whether that will actually happen, we don't know. Superman obviously had a very famous set of films in the 70s with Christopher Reeve. Um, I think 1977 was the first one, and then it went through to the early 80s. The final two in that series are not particularly well liked, but um, Superman 1 and 2 pretty much set the standards for the genre uh, on film and television and definitely helped Superman himself as a character. There was also the Fleischer cartoons in the 40s, which launched the character into the popular consciousness, and those are still very beloved even to this day um also interestingly they introduced a lot of things that then got bought onto the superman comics like until those cartoons superman never flew uh he only ever leapt tall buildings in a single bound as the old saying goes the the idea of superman flying came from those particular stories Beyond that, though, Superman's had no real films, but he has been a strong presence in television. Um, there was the Lois and Clark series with Dean Cain in the 90s. There was the Smallville television series with uh, Tom Welling um, throughout most of the 2000s. Um, so, yeah, Superman's been a very ubiquitous presence in general pop culture. Uh, he's, he's very well known for even beyond the films. Wonder Woman, on the other hand, is generally the most famous female superhero. Despite not having a lot of uh, presence in film or television, uh, her most popular presence in, in television was the obviously the Linda Carter-led Wonder Woman TV series. Beyond that, she's never had a solo cartoon series or television series that's lasted too long. Um, I think there's been a few pilots here and there. Um, she was a strong presence on the Justice League cartoon series in the uh, early 2000s. But, yeah, nothing else has ever really got off the ground. There's been multiple attempts to create a film for her over the years, but nothing was successful until the um, the DC Extended Universe. So what is the DC Extended Universe? The DC Extended Universe is the 
it's basically DC Comics and Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brother Pictures attempts to create a film universe combining all of their characters in a similar way to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it was given the name DC Extended Universe uh, by fans. Um, I'm not sure particularly why Extended rather than Cinematic, but either way, that was the name it got. Um, the idea was for it to be a new world, unconnected to any previous films, television series, or anything like that. Um, obviously, there is another television-based um, series involving DC characters, which is the Arrowverse, or the CW-verse, I believe it's now being called, now that Arrow is over, which was started in 2012. Um, with the Arrow TV series, uh, which later expanded to Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, Black Lightning, Batwoman, Constantine. There's been a few other different shows. I'm trying, trying to remember them all. And now is a, has a Superman and Lois show, which is extremely popular. Uh, and from all accounts, very, very good. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it when it makes it over to these shores and one in on one of the streaming services that I own. Now, the first attempt to create a uh, DC cinematic uh, universe was the Green Lantern film in 2011. Um, I've forgotten who directed it now. Um, Ryan Reynolds was obviously the main star. He's been pretty outspoken against it um, over the years, although having finally seen it recently, he said that it wasn't as bad as he expected it to be. Um, and he obviously did meet his wife, Blake Lively, while filming it, so it can't have been that bad for him. Um, I watched it recently myself uh, for the first time, having avoided it for years with people saying, oh, it's, it's generally terrible. It's not appalling. I've seen far worse films across the years. It's, it's one that's definitely worth a watch. Um, but yeah, just don't go expecting anything amazing. Having read the Green Lantern comics, it's a, a pale shadow of those. But it's an interesting idea. There was, there would have been a very interesting idea for a sequel off the back of it. There's a, a post-credits tease that would have led to something very interesting. But alas, these things are, are not to be. Um, so off the back of Green Lantern's somewhat negative reception uh warner brothers retooled their efforts and with christopher nolan having recently helmed the very successful dark knight trilogy they tapped him on as a producer they bought on Zack snyder who as the uh, director Zack snyder is a filmmaker who is quite polarizing quite controversial he is directorial efforts that i have seen i've generally liked uh, i don't think he is a bad filmmaker i don't necessarily think he's a phenomenal filmmaker but in terms of shot composition and direction he's a, he's very very pleasing to the eye to watch his stuff um his most famous efforts for film are probably the uh the adaption of frank miller's 300 comic uh, yes 300 was a comic for those who aren't aware um, which was to obviously turned into an uh, amazing looking film um, starring Jared Butler. 
Um, there was the Watchmen film. Watchmen being something that is, for, for many, many years, was a comic that was considered basically unfilmable. Um, Zack Snyder did a, a very, very good effort that sticks quite closely to the source material. There's some liberties taken with it, um, but generally I don't think it's a bad movie. It adapts a lot of the parts of the books very, very well. There's one particular change to the original source material that I don't like, which is his origin of Rorschach, um, which is far more unnecessarily violent than in the comic and makes Rorschach, who is already a character that's, I think, beloved for a lot of the wrong reasons, far more unnecessarily violent but that's a, a matter of personal taste i think the actual film it's it's relatively slow but it gets most of the main themes of watchmen um maybe heavy-handed in certain areas um not helped by the fact that i think watchmen came out too early if it came out if it was adapted now i think it would probably have had a better reception because part of the thing that watchman does is it dissects and critiques the uh, the superhero formula which is something that just wasn't as established in 2009 as it is now <sighs> Zack Snyder's other major film i think before the dcu was um the cinematic remake of Dawn of the Dead, originally a Giorgio Romero zombie film. Zack Snyder did his version in 2004. Um, again, pretty good. Not quite as thematic as the original, but still a fairly entertaining film. I'm a bit of a fan of zombie films, especially the Romero films, and yeah, I didn't, didn't dislike Zack Snyder's one. It, again, very well shot. The action was pretty easy to follow. It was yeah, it wasn't a bad film. It was nowhere near as cerebral as the um, the George A. Romero one. However, I didn't think it was also as silly as the George A. Romero one could be at certain points. For example, there's no pie fight. If you've seen the original Dawn of the Dead, you know exactly what I mean. If you haven't, yeah, there's a pie fight in it and it's very bizarre. So yeah, Zack Snyder I don't think is a bad filmmaker. He's very... A divisive filmmaker but I don't think he's a bad filmmaker um, he was hired under Christopher Nolan to um, as part of this idea to, to bring the DC universe to life um, the final part of this triumvirate of uh, people to save the DC uh, cinematic universe was uh, Dave Goyer who is a screenwriter um, he is most prominent, I think the, the work that got him into a lot of people's minds originally was the Blade trilogy, um, which he did uh, at New Line. He also did uh, the third installment of which he directed himself because no one else was available. He also has directed uh, a few other horror movies throughout the years but I don't think he did much other superhero work. I think he might have been involved in the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight films at some point. Um, but again, his main work is... He, he's 
yeah, he's been a bit outspoken against certain elements from the comics. I don't think he particularly understands a lot of superhero tropes and comic characters as well as he'd like to make out that he does. But again, that's nerd minutiae and a matter of personal preference and taste. Um, anyway, the three of them were hired to sort of reboot the, the DC cinematic slate, uh, and their attempt was Man of Steel, which was a superhero, a Superman film. Man of Steel, I, again, spent years not having seen it. I'd seen it for the first time recently. It's not terrible. I wouldn't say it's particularly good, though. It's, it's a very pretty-looking movie, for most of it. Um... But it does take some liberties with the character of Superman that I'm not really a fan of. It has some some tonal uh, things that make it stand out in sharp contrast to the Marvel films that were out at the time. I mean, it released in 2013, um, not long after we'd had um, the first Avengers movie in 2012, which was... Very fun, very triumphant. Man of Steel is not really fun or shiny. It's it's quite dark and quite gritty, quite realistic in certain ways. It's very well cast and very well shot. And the actors are clearly making their best effort to make a good film and make something very, very different from Marvel, which isn't a bad thing. But, yeah, I think your mileage may vary on how much you enjoy it, depending on your opinions of what superheroes should be. It's not necessarily the take for me, but it's not a bad one. I can I can see merit in it. The thing is, Man of Steel <laughs> spends a long time... I mean, it's a, it's a two-hour film. Um, I think slightly over two hours. And for most of that film, it's still on Superman's origin story. It feels, in a lot of respects, like it is still an origin story. It's only part one of a story. And we'll get the later parts later on. I don't think that's the right attitude to take for a film. I don't think any of the other superhero films have really felt like that. Um, whether you're talking about the first X-Men, the first Spider-Man, the first Avengers, the first Captain America. I don't think any of them have felt like a single part of a story. They felt like a precise film on their own first. Um, I think the only films to me that usually feel like part of a story tend to be films that are the middle part of a trilogy. A lot of film trilogies have the... Um, especially if part two and part three have been shot together. Um, for example, the Pirates of the Caribbean films. You may have noticed this if you've seen them. The first movie is a film on its own. It tells us its own complete story. The second film might tell its own complete story, but it deliberately sets up things for a sequel. Um... So yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest does this. 
um, John Wick Chapter 2, which I saw very recently, that does this. Um, back to the Future Part 2 does it as well. It's it's not a new thing by any means. It goes back years. And then the, the third film will take a lot of those. Uh, the second Matrix film was also a good example. Um, and then the third film in the series, so Back to the Future Part 3, uh, the Matrix uh, Revolution... No, I've forgotten the name of the Matrix sequels now. Um, I want to say Revolutions, but I think that might be the second one. <laughs> um, presumably John Wick Chapter 3. I, I still have not seen that yet, but I intend to very soon. Um, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. They will take the plot threads from that second film and resolve them as part of creating a cohesive narrative so what you end up with essentially is less a film trilogy and then but instead one film on its own and a film in two chapters like two chapters two films telling a single story Man of Steel doesn't feel like a film on its own. It feels more like, I suppose a more apt comparison would be either, if not a sequel film, like one of those, like the, the ones I was mentioning, like Pirates of the Caribbean or Back to the Future. Um, another good example would be a film like uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Where it's like this is very much, very definitely only part of the story, and there is more story to come. Now I don't know whether that criticism holds true for many other people that have watched it. I mean, there are story elements that do resolve within that film, but it does still feel like this is all Superman's origin story. And when the story isn't finished yet. The only other film I can think of as a superhero film that feels the same way is probably the first Amazing Spider-Man movie. The Andrew Garfield one from 2012. So the year before. Which also feels the same way. It is, it's very definitely Spider-Man's origin. And it's only it's only towards the end of the film that we have the the complete character that we thought we were getting from the start. So that's my issue. But either way, Man of Steel was not particularly uh, well received. It was a very, very different take on Superman than I think most of the public would have been expecting. Um, I've seen a lot of people describe it as uh, negatively as Superman done like Batman. So that gives you an idea of what sort of thing you're expecting from this. It's... Yeah, it's, it's still entertaining enough, but it's not not fantastic. However, despite a, a modest box office, despite some uh, middling fan reaction and critical reception, um, this was what uh, Warner Brothers and DC Comics decided they wanted to move forward with. So they made their plans. They started filming the sequel. Um, it was soon revealed to the public that the sequel would introduce Batman uh, in this world and it would be called Batman vs Superman and it was eventually given the subtitle Dawn of Justice. And I think it was in, I want to say, 2014. It, yeah, 
uh, may even have been 2015, while Batman v Superman was still filming, they revealed a slate of films. Very, very presumptuous. But they said in 2016 we will be getting Batman vs Superman and The Suicide Squad. And then uh, 2017 we will be getting Wonder Woman and the first part of Justice League. So Justice League was only going to be part one. In 2018, we would be getting Aquaman and The Flash. And 2019, we would be getting Cyborg and the second Justice League movie. And in 2020, we were going to be getting uh, Shazam and Green Lantern. I may have a couple of those in the wrong year. But essentially, two films a year was going to be their, their planned slate. And I remember even at the time thinking that this was very, very presumptuous for a universe that at the time only had one semi-successful film and was also disregarding this universe that at the time was being built on television. It wasn't connected to Green Arrow. Um, the announcement of a Flash movie spat in the face of the launch of the Flash TV show starring Grant Gustin. I think the first episode of which premiered in the same week as this announcement was made. <laughs> Just through really bad, you know, really bad timing. And obviously The Flash went on to become a very, very successful TV series for the CW. I think it's one of their highest, highest viewed television shows. And it's now kind of, without Arrow, it's now kind of the linchpin of that whole television universe. And obviously, the second week its first episode aired, they announced that, yeah, Ezra Miller's playing the film version of The Flash, so this won't connect in and it doesn't matter. Which I think was the wrong way to go. There's no reason they couldn't have had the two connect in a more meaningful way. Um... Then, anyway, Batman v Superman released. It was the same team behind the scenes. I think they added Chris Terrio as another screenwriter. But again, was not well received. It's very... Watching it as a film, it was released in two versions. I saw the theatrical cut in the cinema. I saw the ultimate edition that was released onto DVD, which is about half an hour longer later on. I didn't think it added much i mean it adds some subplots but it didn't address the issues i had with the film the plot holes that i had with it um but either way it was it was very very clear that dc was still going to move forward with this uh this universe that they were building suicide squad released a few months after batman v superman um it had been recut and re-edited um apparently by um, a company response the company was responsible for the trailer which was very well received um, and not by the director um, which is disappointing for the director and a bit disappointing for the fans as we don't know what we missed out on a lot of what the director had planned but the film wasn't terrible I actually quite enjoyed Suicide Squad at the time I there was a lot in it that I found quite fun. Um, and obviously, a lot of as soon as I say fun with the DC 
um, films, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you're a Marvel shill. You know, I, I, I've read DC Comics for years. I, I do like their characters. And I felt this film was a more accurate representation of a lot of their characters that were in it. So, yes, I enjoyed it more for that respect. It's not just that it was fun. Being fun was a bonus. However, the first well-received DC Universe film came the year following, which was Wonder Woman by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot. Wonder Woman had debuted as a character in uh, Batman v Superman. She'd been one of the most well-received elements of Batman v Superman. And the Wonder Woman film was, again, very, very well-received. I think it did... It did make a lot of money. I think it was the first of the DCEU films to break a billion worldwide. Which was something they'd been expecting Batman v Superman to do. And it hadn't, probably because of the bad critical reception. Critical and fan reception that it received. Um, so yeah, Wonder Woman was a good film. I, I have problems with that as well. Um, one of my major problems with it is towards the ending. Um, where, spoilers... Um, spoilers for a four-year-old film at this point. Um, yes, uh, Wonder Woman kill it hunts. She's hunting Ares, the god of war, during World War One, because she believes that he is responsible for the Great War. Um, it's eventually revealed by Ares towards the end of the film that actually he hasn't done anything except maybe whisper in the ears of a few prominent humans and that's what's led to world war one um so he's not directly responsible for it and yet when wonder woman kills him at the end of the movie all of a sudden every all the soldiers around her just conveniently stop fighting which i think directly contradicts the idea that Ares isn't responsible but hey ho that's a different issue I'll probably go more in-depth with spoilers on the other films in a little bit um, when discussing them further. Um, but obviously, the response to the trailer for Suicide Squad and obviously the effect that it had on the Suicide Squad editing, the response, the negative response to Batman v Superman and a lot of the tones present in it, because again, it was very, very dark, very gritty, very quote-unquote realistic. Um that had obviously had an impact on Warner Brothers, who were putting a lot of money into these films. Justice League had obviously been rushed into filming straight away. Um, I think Gal Gadot said she went from Wonder Woman pretty much straight to Justice League. I think Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill, who had played Batman and Superman, had a couple of months off while Wonder Woman was filming between doing like Batman v Superman reshoots and then going in for Justice League. So these things were already in motion at DC to try and fit this two films a year slate. And this wasn't even counting the, the idea of other planned films that they had. Like Ben Affleck for a long time was attached to a Batman film which he was going to star in and direct. And I think also write. Uh, eventually he stepped down as director and they hired Matt Reeves and so on and so on. There was a whole load of behind the scenes wrangling and chopping and changing and things changing all the time but justice league was filming at the time 
Zack Snyder was filming it. There was definitely efforts. There was often reported efforts that uh, Warner Brothers was asking him to make it lighter in tone. There was going to be more, more jokes, more humour. All stuff that I think people were expecting at this point. So, however, obviously, Batman v Superman released that affected how Justice League was doing. Wonder Woman released that affected how Justice League was doing. Suicide Squad released that affected what was being done with Justice League. And then, as Justice League had finished principal photography, as it was getting into post production, Zack Snyder had to step down due to a family tragedy. Um, he stepped down while he was stepped down. I mean, this is the public reason given there are reports that maybe he may have been ousted by Warner Brothers. But the the public reason given was he stepped down due to a family tragedy. And the family tragedy is very well documented. So he would have had to step down regardless of any other behind the scenes machinations. He stepped down and was replaced by Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon has obviously, uh, he was quite a beloved filmmaker at the time. He'd recently worked on, he'd obviously worked on the first Avengers movie. He'd worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He'd worked on Age of Ultron, the second Avengers movie as well, but had split with Marvel as a result of it. Um, there's obviously plenty of things circulating in the news at the minute about Joss Whedon that's turned a lot of public perception towards him. Uh, quite rightly so, in my view. But at the time, he was considered a very influential, very popular filmmaker. He was bought in by DC, by Warner Brothers. Should, I should say, by Warner Brothers, not by DC. To finish the Justice League. And when I say bought in to finish it, he was also given authorization to reshoot and re-edit the script of the film. By accounts at the time, Zack Snyder had shot approximately three and a half, four hours of footage. Warner Brothers insisted they didn't want Justice League to run over two hours by this point. They'd invested a lot of money in this film by this point, and it was they were determined to meet the release date, and they wanted it under two hours so that they could recoup some money. Obviously, because obviously, shorter film, more showings per day, more money. So, just Joss Whedon bought in a lot of reshoots and script rewrites that changed a lot of the film, changed a lot of the tone of the film, made it lighter, made it brighter, altered certain characters' subplots. A lot of this has been revealed in recent years, um, since the release of the movie in 2017. The movie released, it was it was definitely lighter in tone than the previous films. There was definitely some good scenes in it, some not-so-good scenes, some things that were quite derided by fans. Um, generally, it was liked, but I think the most glowing reviews I saw of it weren't that it was good, it was just that it was better than what came before. Um... But it also did definitely feel muddled. It definitely felt like there were two hands at the wheel. Both with different visions. Now, obviously, as the story started releasing, even in the wake of, in the immediate aftermath of the film being released, 
of how much had changed behind the scenes. A small but eventually quite vocal movement grew with the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. The idea being that Zack Snyder had a vision for this movie, which was very different from what had finally been released. Zack Snyder himself confirmed this. So the fans wanted to see it. So that then prompted this huge wave of people eventually growing. Some raised money for charities, some were abusive. There was all sorts on this spectrum. I'm not going to tar the whole Snyder Cut movement with a negative or a positive brush. There were definitely people of both in this movement. But the general gist of the movement was that we wanted to see, the people wanted to see Zack Snyder's film. I was never really part of the movement. I was dubious that the, the Snyder Cut ever existed in a complete state. Um, but I was curious to see what had been filmed. I'm, you know, I'm a nerd. I watch all the deleted scenes. I like hearing the making of. I like hearing about the ideas that were raised for a film, but for whatever reason couldn't be made, because I find that stuff very, very interesting. So, of course, I wanted to see Zack Snyder's cut of the film. I, I still want to see David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad for the same reasons. I want to see what the original intentions were. So, there be became this growing movement to release the Snyder Cut. But at the same time, Warner Brothers was very clearly trying to shift their universe off the back of the somewhat disastrous reaction that the, the Justice League theatrical cut had. Um, their, their two movies a year plan pretty much immediately fell by the wayside. Um, Ezra Miller's Flash movie, which was planned for 2018, did not appear at all. I don't think it ever got filmed. It, it started going losing directors left, right and centre. Um, Aquaman was filmed, but I think that started filming off the back of Justice League before Justice League had even been released. But even then, it wasn't released until December 2018, so almost a year afterwards. And yes, it was eventually released, but there were definite tonal shifts. Um, other movies that followed, like Shazam and Birds of Prey, were very, very different in tone and style to the previous films in that universe. So yeah, Warner Brothers was shifting away from Zack Snyder's um, tone that set the DC Extended Universe into motion. But at the same time, fans were asking for that to come back. So what happened next? As I said, the release of the Snyder Cut hashtag had been a thing for several years in the wake of the, of the original release of Justice League, the original theatrical cut. It started to pick up speed when it was followed not just by Zack Snyder himself, but also the actors involved in the movie. Uh, most specifically, Ray Fisher, who played the character of Cyborg. Now, Ray Fisher was very, very outspoken um, of Joss Whedon and his changes to the film. 
specifically in regards to how they affected his character and his story arc within the movie. He then became one of the most outspoken critics, which has led to the new backlash against Joss Whedon. Um, again, like I said earlier, very rightly so. I think there is a lot of things said about Joss Whedon in the media recently that are appalling, frankly, and make me not want to watch things of his that I haven't seen, things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, which one of my partners is insisting that I watch. So, Ray Fisher, Gal Gadot, who played Wonder Woman, Ben Affleck, who played Batman, um, all agreed with the... And Jason Momoa, who played Aquaman as well, all supported the Restore the Snyder Cut, uh, you know, release the Snyder Cut hashtag, as well as Zack Snyder himself. Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck had also walked away from Warner Brothers and the DC films in the wake of Justice League's release. A few other behind-the-scenes... Um, changes that happened that had affected films going forward. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 was the, the sequel to the first Wonder Woman. Apparently the story on that had been changed from what was originally set up in the Snyder Cut. Um, so it was again another prequel. I don't think it had always been intended to be a prequel. I think it was intended to be a more modern day story. Um, before Patty Jenkins and Warner Brothers decided on another prequel. Uh, obviously, I said there was uh, changes to Shazam, Birds of Prey, uh, and the other DC films going forward. Uh, Suicide Squad has also had big changes behind the scenes. James Gunn was hired after his firing by from Disney and Marvel um, to do the next Suicide Squad, the trailers for the, the film hasn't been released yet, but the two trailers that have released very recently have both been very well received. Personally, I'm really looking forward to that film. I think it looks amazingly fun. But yeah, the, the Snyder Cut movement was big and prominent, and it was something you couldn't really get away from. It was something that was sneaking to every discussion about the, the Justice League films about any DC movie, any discussion of Warner Brothers and DC release the Snyder Cut would be involved somewhere. You you would no doubt see that hashtag. It was very, very popular. And like I said, they were they were raising money for charity um as well. Like I said, Zack Snyder stepped down for a family tragedy. The family tragedy was that his uh, daughter committed suicide. I think a million dollars was raised for a suicide prevention charity by people on the Snyder Cut movement. That's very worthy cause. There were also, however, people that were attacked, uh, you know, online by people allied to the Snyder Cut movement, which is heartbreaking. So you can't dismiss the entire movement. Um, but you also can't praise the entire movement. It was definitely a divisive movement and with good sides and bad sides. However, the fans, when the when the directors and the stars joined, and then recently when AT&T bought Warner Brothers and merged it in with HBO and other things that they owned, 
the decision very much became, okay, the Snyder Cut is going to happen, it's going to be released, but it's going to be for the streaming service HBO Max, which, as far as I'm aware, is at the minute is still a US exclusive streaming service. And there are other issues with what AT&T did with Warner Brothers and HBO Max beyond the Snyder Cut, but... Obviously, the, the losses that the Snyder Cut had made, because it, it did make losses. It I think it barely broke even at the box office upon its original release. So it had not been a successful movie. But all of those costs had been written off. So Walter Hamada, I think it is, who's current head of Warner Brothers spoke to Zack Snyder uh, or, or one of the AT&T bosses spoke to Zack Snyder and gave him the authorization to do it and the money for the reshoots and special effects work that he would need to complete the film as he wanted to. So yeah, victory all round for the fans, right? And a victory for AT&T. They get a big flagship property for their, their new streaming service that they own that doesn't really cost them a lot of money because, as I said, the costs had already been absorbed in previous fiscal years. They could get a, a $400 million movie, essentially, for, I think the original plan was $35 million, for, but it eventually ended up being $70 million for the costs involved. But yeah, they got the movie that they wanted. So yeah, the Snyder Cut was released recently. It's officially called Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think there is a, another version of it coming in black and white, um, which has been worked on by Zack Snyder himself. There are a few characters that return for reshoots, uh, mainly towards one of the sequences in the end of the film. Not every character returns for reshoots. Um most of the scenes in the cut, the cut is four hours long. Most of the scenes in the cut, except for the ones in who that were reshot, are were apparently all filmed in uh, the 2015 to 2017 shooting window for the original film. So they were filmed at the time. The special effects work has obviously been finished on them. It's a very Zack Snyder movie. There's a lot of his stylistic uh, tropes in there. Um, slow motion, for example, certain shots that he likes to use. But the general consensus among both fan bases, the fan base and critics, is that it is a better movie. Personally, I agree. I think it is a much better film. There's a lot. It's still a very dark take on the heroes, but it is slightly more hopeful than the previous films in the series. There is a lot more humour in it. The characters feel more complete. There's more complete story arcs for every character involved. And there are a lot of characters in that film. Um, supporting characters, minor characters, villains. But I do feel that pretty much everyone gets a, a full character arc. I don't think this is the film we would have gotten even in 2017. It would definitely have been edited. There's no way a four-hour film would have been released. 
And like I said, some of these scenes, the ones that were reshot, did not exist at the time. What's more likely is that the theatrical cut released at the time would have been between two and a half and maybe three hours long. There, You could easily get a three-hour movie out of this. And it would be very concise and cover all the bases. And then the extended cut released on DVD would be... You know, DVD and Blu-ray would be three and a half, three and three-quarter hours. But it's a good film. It's very definitely a part one. The original plan, like I said earlier, was for Justice League Part 1 in 2017 and Justice League Part 2 in 2019. This is definitely a part one. But it is also a complete story in itself. It sets up, establishes the Justice League, gives them a villain to fight. They defeat that villain. But there is very clearly a bigger villain in the background. I probably have to discuss some spoilers here. Um, certain characters are very, very different. Certain things are very very different in the film so there there will be some spoilers um cyborg is probably the most changed character just as ray fisher said he loses his father in the well we are introduced to both of his parents and he loses them both during the course of this film and their loss has a very very significant effect on his character arc um, but also on the the loss of his father especially serves a plot purpose beyond motivating Cyborg. It gives the Justice League a clue as to where the villain is. The, some of the less received aspects of the Justice League theatrical edition are omitted, suggesting that either they were Joss Whedon editions or they were parts that Zack Snyder maybe wasn't as proud of anymore and he got rid of them. Some of them are surprising to me. For example, the original theatrical cut of Justice League has an introduction over the credits, uh, a montage sequence, suggesting... It's set to music. I've forgotten the song in particular. But it suggests that... Superman's loss, because Superman dies in Batman v Superman, has affected the world negatively. And the effect that is having on people, the, the loss of hope. And it reminded me very much of the opening credit montage to the Watchmen film. Making me think that, that was a Zack Snyder creation. However, it's not in the Zack Snyder Justice League. So either it was something Zack Snyder decided not to include in his current run of the film, maybe it didn't fit, or it was a Joss Whedon edition, which I find surprising if that's the case, because like I said, it feels like something from another Zack Snyder movie. But in general, the film is much better. The ending... I find is a lot more satisfying. The heroes actually lose uh, originally and then Flash rewinds time, allowing them to win. 
all of the heroes, I think, have something to do in the finale, which I didn't feel was the case in the original film. There are still things I dislike. I'm not a huge fan of Superman being in his black suit um, throughout the finale of this movie. I much prefer Superman in the, the red and blue, the classic Superman look. I think it's a much more hopeful and optimistic view of the character. And I believe he was originally shot in the red and black suit, like one of the original trailers featuring a scene from the Snyder Cut features him in the red and black suit. And we see the reflection of the red and black suit. That same scene is in this current Justice League, but with the black suit. So the black suit was very clearly edited in. So that was not part of the original plan from the beginning, no matter how much they might say otherwise. But yeah, I, I generally prefer the, the movie. I think it's a very, very good film. It is long. <laughs> there are bits that are superfluous that don't really add much. There's a lot of slow motion in it, which could probably have been sped up. And yes, it is definitely not what we would have got in cinemas in 2017. But it is a better film. It is very definitely a better film. Some of the changes between this version and what was released in 2017, like I said, with the ending, are baffling. I don't understand how the original ending is better at all, because I don't think it is. Um, the redesign of the main villain in the original, I don't think is better at all. Um, and yes, this one sets up Dark Side as a villain for the future. Um, one of the big Justice League villains um, from the comics. Very clearly being set up as a villain for the second Justice League film. Darkseid is not really mentioned at all in the original version. He's vaguely alluded to um, at the end of Batman v Superman, but only really by fans who know the character and know certain references that would allude to him. If you don't know those, then that will go over your head, the reference to him. It comes from Lex Luthor towards the end of Batman v Superman. So, yeah, I, I, I do think the Zack Snyder Justice League is a stronger version of the film, and I'm quite pleased we have it. And it's now very easy to look at Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, especially the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman, and Zack Snyder's Justice League, and see them as a complete body of work, where there is, you can see, like I said, Man of Steel as part of a story, you can see that story evolve through, across the three films. I don't necessarily think it's a perfect story. It's not necessarily the story I like with these characters, but there is a story there. And presumably there would have been more to that story in the Justice League sequel. Now, obviously, there are there's still flaws in that story. Like I said, there are flaws in, in the film. I'm going to delve more into spoilers now. Um, in general, I think... I have turned around a few times on certain aspects of these films. Like, I'm, I'm not as down on 
Superman killing General Zod in Man of Steel as I used to be. I kind of understand it now, thematically. I It fits, it's an act of desperation, and it's something that very clearly negatively affects Superman, so I do like that aspect of it. Certain scenes like the the Martha scene in Batman v Superman, I still think are stupid as hell. I have heard tons of defences for that scene. I can see what they were going for, but for me it does not work at all. Um, short summary, Batman throughout the film is planning to kill Superman. He's, he's planning Superman's murder. Throughout the entire film, he steals kryptonite, he prepares weapons, he trains himself. As he once says to Alfred in the movie, he says, if there is a 1% a, a chance that he is our enemy, we have to treat it as an absolute certainty. And that is because purely because of how dangerous he saw Superman and Zod were when they were fighting in Man of Steel. You know, the, the Man of Steel ends in a destruction fest as the two of them fight through Metropolis. And hundreds of people, no doubt, die in that film, if not thousands. And Batman v Superman kind of addresses that by Batman saying, yes, Superman is dangerous. And then at the moment where he is about to kill Superman, Superman says, save Martha! Martha being his mother, Martha Kent, who coincidentally shares the same name with Martha Wayne, who was Batman's mother, who was executed in front of him as a child. Martha Kent is being held by Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor has engineered this confrontation between Batman and Superman. As a result of hearing, save Martha, Batman immediately stops and makes an allies with Superman to save Martha Kent. I understand that. However, if there is a 1% chance he is our enemy, we must treat it as an absolute certainty. There is still that chance that Superman is his enemy. He has seen a future version of Superman as an enemy by this point in the film. He knows, excuse me, that Superman will be an enemy in the future. And yet his character does a complete 360. Not 360, that would put him right back where he was. A complete 180. A complete 180 from where he was. Oh. I struggle with that. As I said, I completely get what they're going for. I just don't think it works at all. And I've heard many people trying to defend it over the years, but I really don't think it works. And I think it undercuts the entire dramatic tension of that film, of that confrontation. It's a terrible scene. And then even Justice League has its problems. Justice League, um, throughout a lot of its runtime, is suggesting that Superman was this beacon of hope and his loss had this huge impact on the world because now the world is without Superman. The thing is, in the previous films, especially in Batman v Superman, a lot of people were not supporting Superman. There was a whole thing of 
Superman's possibly a killer. Should the world even need Superman? Superman answers to no one. Why were we allowing him? And oh, that. Oh. It's somewhat corrected in the Zack Snyder cut because in Zack Snyder's Justice League, the onus is not on the impact Superman had on the world, but on the impact that. Steppenwolf couldn't find the mother boxes, the, the MacGuffins that are powering the plot while Superman was alive. It was only after Superman died that the mother boxes signaled Steppenwolf, suggesting that the mother boxes themselves, because they're, they're believed to have some sort of sentience, the mother boxes themselves were afraid of Superman, which means Superman could stop. Steppenwolf and Darkseid and everything else. So it's somewhat saved in that cut. But even then, the impact it has on the world is still... It is a plot hole. A minor plot hole, but it is still a plot hole. So in the wake of Justice League's release the well the Zack Snyder's Justice League's release the trend of the hashtag has now gone from release the Snyder cut to restore the Snyderverse which is a far more ambiguous and more dramatic title and goal however Warner Brothers do not seem interested in this at all um, in fact, if anything, Warner Brothers seem to have been trying to distance themselves from the Snyder Cut. Walter Hamada said in a it was either a tweet or a press release that the Snyder Cut was very much its own thing. Uh, David Ayer um, was responded to a tweet or a press release again, uh, but he responded on Twitter. Um, to a DC executive saying that there were no plans to restore the Ayer cut, which was another trend off the back of the release of the Snyder Cut movement. Um, there would be no plans to restore the Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, to which he responded, why? And I've got to agree with him, why? AT&T, however, have said that they plan to release six DC films a year now. This is the current plan. It used to be two a year. It is now six a year. Or six DC properties. I'm not sure if they're all necessarily films, but six DC... Uh, they might not all be live action, some might be animated, but six DC properties a year. The plan is three will be released theatrically, and three will be released on HBO Max for streaming. This plan is meant to kick in in a few years' time. Now, for the money of a streaming budget, you're not necessarily going to get something of Zack Snyder's Justice League's level of quality. Like I said, part of the reason that was able to look the way it does is because a lot of the costs for it had already been absorbed in previous fiscal years. That movie only cost, up front, $70 million dollars. However, if you combine the total costs for both versions of that movie, the original movie, the reshoots, and then the reshoots and uh, post-production post work on the Snyder Cut, I think it's somewhere in excess of $400 million, including marketing and other things like that. That is a lot of money. But 
the idea of restoring the Snyderverse and getting a sequel with the cliffhanger almost ending that the Zack Snyder Justice League has, you can understand why people want to see more of it. I want to see more of it. Like I said, I've never been a huge fan of Zack Snyder's version of these characters. But if anything, Zack Snyder's Justice League has made me go, well, there's there was clearly a story in mind that I like. I like the idea behind this universe. I don't like it necessarily as much as I like the Arrowverse. I enjoy that a hell of a lot more. I enjoy the current DC movies a hell of a lot more. I'm far more excited for the upcoming Suicide Squad movie or the Shazam sequel than I am for any potential Zack Snyder's Justice League Part 2. But I'm still intrigued. I would still see that movie. Either theatrically or on streaming. I would, I would even, if it was turned into an animated film or even a graphic novel, I would be very, very interested in seeing the rest of that story. Unfortunately, I don't think it's possible. I don't think Warner Brothers want to make that story in any form. There's been a lot of changes at Warner Brothers recently since the AT&T acquisition. There was been there's been dramatic editorial changes at DC Comics. Um there was a decision uh, quite a, a derided decision by a lot of people um to release all of Warner Brothers films on day one HBO Max streaming as soon as they release in theatres. Partly brought on by the pandemic, um, but also partly following the decision to do so with Wonder Woman 84 and um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. That decision has been quite derided by a lot of influential people, including Christopher Nolan, who has had, up until now, had a very, very close relationship with Warner Brothers. Part of the reason for this may be, um, you know, as a filmmaker, he believes films should be in cinemas. He released his last film, Tenet, with Warner Brothers, purely for cinemas. It didn't do well in cinemas and theatres because a lot of them were closed due to the current pandemic. But he still released it there. He insisted it be released there. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of Christopher Nolan's films in general. Um, the ones I've seen, with the exception of Dark Knight, I've been very underwhelmed by. Um, I think they're all an interesting idea, but there's a lot of issues I have with him as a filmmaker. So that's a different discussion. But the fact is, I don't think AT&T, despite their plans to do the six DC films a year, I don't think any continuation of the Snyderverse is going to be part of those plans. The plan instead now of DC seems to be leaning into the multiverse aspect. Now, DC Comics has always been quite famous for having a multiverse in comparison to Marvel Comics. Both have a multiverse. The multiverse idea being that there is a main universe where the main continuity takes place. And then there is a multiverse, an idea of what-if worlds where what if this storyline happened differently? What if this storyline happened differently? And what would that 
how would that affect the world? Sometimes it's just done for a single story. Um, sometimes it's done for as part of an ongoing thing. Warner Brother, uh, sorry, Marvel tends to do it more for single stories. They will do. They had a line called "What If" comics, um, where it would be the Watcher positing, "Well, what if in this storyline someone else became Captain America?" or what if in this storyline the X-Men died? What would happen next? Those sorts of ideas. Uh, obviously there are some slightly more famous um, alternate realities and other worlds in Marvel Comics. Things like the Age of Apocalypse, the Days of Future Past. Some of which have made the leap into films or animated shows. Um, and which have sort of cemented their fame. Uh, Spider-Verse. Um, was the more famous one. The Ultimate line of comics was the only real famous ongoing one. Um, but obviously, like I said, that introduced Miles Morales, who then became part of Into the Spider-Verse. The Spider-Gwen comics also featured, originally started in a, a multiverse world outside of the main Marvel Comics timeline. So it's something Marvel is leaning into more nowadays, but not really much in the past. DC, however, it's almost been something since the very beginning. Um, when the DC characters came back in the 50s and 60s, there was a question of, well, how could Batman and Superman now interacting with the, um, the newer versions of the Flash and the Green Lantern and other legacy heroes... How can they be the same characters that we also read interacting with their 1940s uh, versions with comics going back to the 30s? So DC Editorial came up with the idea of the multiverse and they specifically went with Earth 1 and Earth 2. All of the modern stories that were coming out in the 60s were Earth 1. All of the classic characters were Earth 2. Eventually, DC started crossing over Earth 1 and Earth 2. Uh, the, most, the first story that did it was The Flash of Two Worlds. But eventually, they started doing a yearly crisis, um, as it was called, between the Justice League uh, of characters on Earth 1 and the Justice Society of World War-era characters on Earth 2. Eventually, they started adding more universes. Warner Brothers was... Uh, sorry, not Warner Brothers. DC Comics was acquiring other characters from other studios, um, like the Captain Marvel family, um, now known as Shazam, um, and characters from Charlton Comics and a few others. So they were bringing those characters in other crises. This all culminated, however, in 1985 when they released a comic series called Crisis on Infinite Earths. The idea behind Crisis on Infinite Earths was to end the multiverse, make it less confusing for people by putting all the characters on a prime Earth and modifying the continuity. Now, that plan's had some success over the years, but not much. DC's gone back and forward on the concept of a multiverse across the years. Um, however, for a large period of time, they had no multiverse. But the multiverse has always been a thing kind of associated with DC. Um, while they didn't have the multiverse post-Crisis on Infinite Earths, they did do 
series called Elseworlds, which tended to be self-contained graphic novels or miniseries, which would focus on a particular concept. For example, there's Batman Red Rain, which features Batman as a vampire. There is Superman Red Sun, which is uh, Superman, but instead of crashing in Kansas, his pod as a baby crashes in the Soviet Union. And a few others of various fame that have been used throughout the years. Eventually, the comics restored the multiverse, and so now the, the DC multiverse is again, it's a big thing, it's very well known. How does this relate to Justice League, you're wondering, and the Snyderverse? Well, the Arrowverse built up to its own Crisis on Infinite Earths adaptation. Now, the Flash series introduced the concept of Earth 2, Earth 1, and the other parallel Earths. So the multiverse was an established thing, and eventually they gradually built up towards Crisis on Infinite Earths. They filmed Crisis on Infinite Earths and released it 2019-2020. Uh, uh, it was released over the, over the season break. Um, so the first three parts aired in 2019, and the last two parts aired in 2020. It was very good. It was a good adaptation of the series. It's not my favourite crossover that they've done they've they tended to do crossovers pretty much annually since the flash started um since there's been more than one show in the universe but crisis on infinite earth is a pretty good one it featured a it did streamline the universe a bit characters like supergirl and black lightning who existed on different earths in the multiverse now exist and have always existed on a prime earth with the other characters so there are elements of the comic storyline and the comic restructuring in there, for better or worse. But one of the unexpected things that Crisis on Infinite Earths did was bring in a lot of other live-action versions of DC characters. For example, there was a reference to the 1989 Batman film. There was a reference to the 2003 Birds of Prey series. There was a reference to the 1966 Batman series. There was a reference to Superman Returns from the 2004, which was set in the same universe as the first two Superman movies, with Brandon Routh reprising his role from that movie as Superman. Uh, there was reference to the current Titans show, to uh, Swamp Thing, to Doom Patrol, to all these other shows that are out at the minute with DC characters in. But the most unexpected one was an appearance by Ezra Miller's Flash in a scene with Grant Gustin's Flash from the TV show, thereby establishing that the DC Extended Universe is a world within the Arrowverse's multiverse. Now, as a result of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Arrowverse's Earth Prime, with the characters that it's established. But there is still a multiverse out there, unlike the original comics. It's just that the Arrowverse is now completely cut off from that multiverse. It cannot access that multiverse in any other way. So whether that's true for the other worlds within that multiverse, or whether Titans will cross over with, say, Doom Patrol in a few years, or Stargirl will cross over with Prime Earth in a few years, now that they're all on the CW, we don't know. They might, they might not. 
However, the idea is now that as much as Arrowverse is a prime Earth, the DC Extended Universe exists in the multiverse. There was also another comic book storyline known as Flashpoint, um, which created its own multiverse change uh, and changed Prime Earth. It changed the history of Prime Earth. And that was a Flash storyline, which is apparently being looked at as a possible source for the Flash film, suggesting that... Uh, it, I mean, it was originally suggested at the time if Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck were stepping down from DC, which it looked like they were doing at the time. Uh, it could be a way of changing Batman and Superman in the um, extended universe to change their actors, change their characters. Whether that will still be done or not, I don't know. Whether the plan is still for the Flash film to be based on Flashpoint, I don't know. It's possible, it's unlikely, it may happen, it may not. But the DC Extended Universe has carried on regardless. Regardless of the Snyderverse, regardless of the Snyder Cut. It's carrying on, it's doing its own thing. Uh, Harley Quinn was in Birds of Prey, she's now going to be in the new Suicide Squad. She's been a breakout character. Shazam has been a breakout character. Aquaman has some tentative references to the Justice League film, but is doing its own thing. But the reason I started talking about the multiverse and the comics is because DC's strategy is multiverse approach to its film and television lineup. The idea that all of these are their own worlds. As a result, they don't have to have all of their movies be in the same universe anymore. This is the approach they're taking. I've already mentioned this with uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker which released uh, a couple of years ago, that film was very explicitly not a part of the DC Extended Universe. The DC Extended Universe has its own Joker, played by Jared Leto. The Joaquin Phoenix Joker exists in a world without Batman. In fact, if anything, the insinuation is that Batman is cre uh, created... We see the Waynes get killed in that film as a result of the the night of violence created by joker so that is an elseworlds story a multiverse story the upcoming robert pattinson batman film is also being approached in the same way in that it doesn't have to connect to the dc extended universe the robert pattinson batman is not going to be a younger version of ben affleck's batman Instead, it is just a Batman in his own world to tell its own story. There's plenty of possibility for future movies to do that, to have that multiverse approach. Whether that means the Snyder Cut, the, Snyder, the Snyderverse will be one of those or not... is unknown at this point. It seems to be a dispute between AT&T and Warner Brothers. AT&T were the ones that approved the Snyder Cut. They were the ones that gave it their backing and the funding and put it onto HBO Max. Warner Brothers 
apparently had no intentions to release the Snyder Cut. Warner Brothers are the ones saying they have no interest in releasing an air cut or doing any future movies in that universe. They have their own plans now. They have their own multiverse ideas and other ideas within the extended universe that have been proven to be more financially sound and more um, more positively received. Like I said, Suicide Squad, Shazam, Aquaman. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Personally, for me, like I said, I would be interested in a conclusion to Zack Snyder's story. However, I very much like the approach that the current DC universe is taking. But because the current DC universe in general is not focusing on the characters that exist within the Snyderverse in, in the Justice League Snyder films, there is possibly room for both. Um, I mean, for example, Birds of Prey, I think, is one of the best superhero movies out there. It's a lot of fun. It had a very negative response at the time um, by people who were associated with the Restore the Snyder Cut movement, uh, attacking the director, attacking the uh, the stars of what was a... <sighs> Predominantly a female-led movie, predominantly led by women of colour, with the exception of Margot Robbie. Like, the director was a woman of colour, Black Canary was, Rene Montoya was, Cassandra Kane was. It's... That's a completely different issue, the, the politics of, of things and the sort of mindsets that some of these things attract, especially in America, which is very very divided at the minute and is going to be the topic of a future podcast so i'm not going to delve into it too much here birds of prey came out just before the pandemic really hit but people weren't going to cinemas it was also r-rated in america and an adult rating over here in the uk so it didn't appeal to as many people i didn't get as much money but it did very well and I think it was a very good movie. I'd rather see more of the Birds of Prey characters than I would more of Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'd rather see more of Shazam. Because the Shazam movie is fantastic. It's very, very, very fun and funny and very positive it's it's a christmas movie it's set at christmas and it feels like a perfect christmas movie it's it's central themes are about family and um togetherness and it's it's very good it works brilliantly as a christmas movie i'd rather see more of that more of that take on the world more of those characters than i think i would Zack snyder's justice league as much as i do want to see more of Zack Snyder's Justice League. As much as I want to see Aya's cut of Suicide Squad, I'd much rather see the upcoming Suicide Squad movie with all the characters and carnage and chaos that is shown in those trailers. So should Warner Brothers restore the Snyderverse? Possibly. 
but I don't think they should make it their main movies going forward. I think there's more options than the Snyderverse, and I think DC should explore those options on TV, on film, on streaming. Things like Superman and Lois, things like the Flash TV series, things like the Arrowverse, things like Birds of Prey and Shazam in film. Yes, the Snyder Cut could still be finished. It could still, we could still get Zack Snyder's Justice League Part 2 in the future. And I would watch it. I'd pay to watch it. But I don't necessarily think it's what we should get in favour of everything else. We should get just good films. I think DC needs a plan. DC and Warner Brothers and AT&T all need to come together and have a plan for what they're doing. Because so many of their approaches over the years have felt presumptuous and haphazard and way too ambitious. I think is the best word. They're very ambitious, but it hasn't paid off for them in the past. And it hurts because they have good characters, and especially the three main ones, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Going back to one of the first things I said in this podcast, they are some of the most recognisable comic book characters ever. And the fact that these films have so badly mishandled the three of them, I don't think is good. And I don't particularly want more of it yet. I'd be interested to see new takes on Superman, new takes on Batman, new takes on Wonder Woman even. Outside of this... DC Extended Universe slash Snyderverse, whichever we're calling it. J.J. Abrams has, has apparently signed on to do a, a new Superman movie. Apparently it won't be Clark Kent, it'll be a completely new Superman. I'm intrigued by that. Like I said, I'm looking forward to the Superman and Lois series when that comes to the UK. But I already will in the UK, I'm not sure. I need to check. But I'm looking forward to it because I really like that version of Superman from the Arrowverse. I like it a lot more than Henry Cavill and Zack Snyder's take in, in those films. So yeah, I don't think they should restore the Snyderverse. I think maybe it could be a possibility if they, if they kept it to streaming... But there's so much more I'd rather see from these characters, from that universe, without the input of creators whose work I'm not a huge fan of. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what, if anything, DC decides to do. I'd love to know your thoughts about it. I'd love to know if, if anyone out there would like to see the Snyderverse or 
would you like to see the multiverse approach? Let me know. So if you've stuck with me for that long, that was a very long podcast. Uh, Hopefully you've enjoyed it. You can find me at several places online if you would like to leave me a message. uh, Reddit at Gardo um, or Gardo Hedgehog on Twitter if you would like to, to talk more with me. Uh, I'm very interested in any feedback I get from the podcast. Uh, I have had some from the first episode from some close friends, but obviously I'm after just trying to find more like-minded spirits out there who maybe are interested in the same things. Regardless of that, I hope you all look after yourselves. You stay safe in these trying times that we're in. You look after your, your physical and your mental health especially and do whatever want to do that is going to relax you and make you enjoy life whether that's watching a a, a Zack Snyder movie or not (laughs) I wish you all the best and until next time take care of yourselves Mm